Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. must come to an end, and tonight we will end our study in the book of Ruth. And uh, this is lesson five of the, of the lessons that we have been going through, and we have navigated our way through the book of Ruth, and we have experienced and we have witnessed as the Word of God has led us through a story of hurt, of tragedy, and we have also witnessed the coming home that was marked by bitterness. Then our studies have allowed us to see that God is able to take failure and turn it into faith. Aren't you glad that God can turn failure into faith? And we will finish tonight by seeing how faith can literally shape and change a future. That's how important faith is in every one of our lives. Whatever season we're in, whatever phase of life that we're in, and maybe it's, it's one of those things you really can't describe or explain, but if you can allow yourself tonight to get a firm grip on your faith, I truly believe that faith that you hold on to is what's going to shape and change your future. I always like doing just a brief recap for those of you that have not been a part of our study. Ruth chapter 3 verses 2 through 4. You'll see that on the screen. And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. Behold he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou should do. The last time that we met, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, we talked about Ruth's simple three steps in verses 3 and 4. And it, and it became what I would call a blueprint that we need to approach God in. First, she had to wash. Second, she had to be anointed. Third, she had to change her clothes. And finally, she needed to get to the floor and find His feet. We talked about that and I expounded. And I can stand before you tonight as your pastor and encourage and implore you, if we truly want to be successful living for God, then we must learn to do these four things. We must cleanse ourselves. We must walk in the anointing. Somebody say amen. We must allow the Holy Ghost to continually change us. And we must learn how to pray and find His feet. The feet is the best way to get to his face. The feet is the best way to get to his hands. It, it's, it's a lot of times where people don't 
We don't want to work from the bottom up. We want, to, we want to start way up here. And God said, no, 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 no. If you'll humble yourself before me. If you'll humble yourself and, and, and get to my feet. Then you'll realize my power. Then you'll unlock the provisions that I have for you. Ruth chapter 3 verse 9. He said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now, if we read that passage of Scripture too fast, then you and I are going to miss its significance. When you read it, just we read it too fast. But when you look at it, it was the first time that she had referred to herself other than Ruth the Moabitess. It was Ruth, thy handmaiden. But when you look at Ezekiel, when you look back at verse 9 that I just read, and then you look at Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy face was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. When the Bible says that he put his skirt over thee, it was basically in accomplishing an act of engagement. They were entering into a covenant relationship. So when Ruth asked him to spread your covers over me, cover me, she was asking him to marry her and join in covenant with her. And when you read verse 10 and 11, and he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman when you look at this 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 little lady she came from the moabite tribe she came uh, as we would look at as a stranger as a nobody but there was something that was something happened when ruth began to let a relationship with the god of naomi be forged in form she took on virtuous traits she she understood there's something about this hero israel the lord our god is one I'm not going to look to the left. I'm not going to look to the right. When I said your God was going to be my God, I'm not playing games with this. Uh, that's truly the way it's going to be. So Ruth was observed by her, by her peers and by who would eventually be her husband that she was a virtuous woman. And, and what does that mean to you and I? We have a God that wants to enter into covenant with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. So, now before we get into chapter 4, I want to, I want to read just a few more verses and then we're going to come down for a landing. And I, and I skipped over this last week because I wanted to connect these two portions for tonight. Ruth 3, 12 through 13. 
And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night. And it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman. Well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So I want you just to kind of remember those verses for a few minutes. And, and I'm going to tie, them, tie these two together, what I'm about to bring. The book of Ruth opens with three funerals, but it closes with one birth that changes everything. Through the first couple of chapters of the book of Ruth, there is a good deal of weeping. But the last chapter records an overflowing of joy in that little town of Bethlehem, Judah. So let me remind you what the word of the Lord in the book of Psalms says. Psalms 30 and 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. On this Wednesday night, I've come to encourage you and remind you that chapter 1 doesn't have to be the end of your life without chapter 2 or without a chapter 3. That can be a platform to introduce chapter 4. Therefore, we need these lessons and we, we need this book of the Bible and the concepts that are tucked away into us as we go through our Christian life because I read today he's the author and the finisher of our faith he's the author and the finisher of my faith so maybe you've been through a season of weeping Maybe there's been a season of loss, but I've come to prophesy on this night, joy's coming in the morning. Joy's coming your way. You see, when I, when I read the Word of God, it looked like at Calvary the devil was winning. But when Jesus pronounced three little words, it was the beginning, not only revelation. It wasn't only a revelation, but it also began a revolution. He shouted on the cross. What's those three words? It is finished. That was a message to the enemy that he wasn't expecting. He wasn't planning for this. There was a message to the enemy that you didn't do this to me. I allowed this to happen so the Word of God could be complete in my life. I know some of you feel like you're being crucified right now. You feel like you're going through the storm of your life. But don't you be discouraged, child of God. God's got a great finish in store for your life. We have... We've grown up watching fairy tales and reading about them. With, and, and with this one little line, many of us feel like we're living less than what life is supposed to be. And it was these words that we heard as a child, and maybe even today if you, and they lived happily ever after. We know that all of life's stories don't have this kind of, uh, of fairy tale happily ever after. But this little book of Ruth reminds us that for the believer, God still writes the last chapter. 
We don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have to be, be afraid of what's going to happen next week. There's an old southern gospel song one time that said something to this effect. The pen is still in the author's hand. And that's where some of us are right now. You may be in a bad chapter. I said you may be in a bad chapter. But he's going to write you the ending that's going to blow your mind. It will be the greatest ending that you could have ever fathomed or imagined. But if you would have got the ending in the bad chapter, that wouldn't. That wouldn't have really meant anything to you. But because you endured some rough chapters, you endured some rough seasons, and you endured some setbacks, you, you endured some no's or some weights or uh, uh, not right now's, but, but because you held on and said, I know God still got the pen in his hand. He's not finished with me yet. He's still the author and the finisher of my faith. He's going to see me through. He's going to take me. If you believe that, say amen. Ruth chapter 4 focuses on three persons. A bridegroom, a bride, and a baby. A bridegroom, a bride, and a baby. Now remember those two verses that I read just a few seconds ago that mentions there was another kinsman redeemer that was closer to her than even Boaz. This is where chapter 4 picks up. And I'll, you'll see it in the King James. I'll read it in the New Living Translation. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as a witness. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, you, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it because uh, you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. And I want you to get this. He is a shrewd businessman and a good offer has just been presented to him. He has every right to redeem the land. And he wants to do it until the next two verses. Then Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that way she can have her she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family listen to this and i love this translation and you're going to see it probably in the king james version 
then I can't redeem it. <laughs> because this might endanger my own. It might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. I can't redeem it. It'll mess up my own in here. It'll mess up what I have. It'll mess up my world. Now I want you to understand what's going on here. This proves to me that there was a kinsman that was closer to Elimelech's family than Boaz. That's what chapter 3 was referring to. There was someone closer. All right, catch this. We're going to go somewhere right now. There was somebody closer, but he wasn't willing. He wanted the land, but he didn't want the life. He wanted the redemption, but he didn't want the requirements. He was willing to give money. He just didn't want to get married. You think about this. We see this time and time again. Too many people are not willing to do what they need to do to get what God wants them to have. They want to be a part of the church, but they don't want to live the life. They want God to redeem them if there aren't all the requirements that they have to do. Well, well, folks will give a little bit of money to soothe their conscience, but they don't want to truly marry this. They don't want to accept the identity and the responsibility that comes with this. When someone wants to give money but not get married, let me tell you what that is. It's called whoredoms. Too many people are treating the bride or the church like a prostitute. We give money, but not marriage. The kinsman redeemer had to be willing, but he had to be able to pay the redemptive price. Ruth and Naomi were too poor to redeem it themselves. They didn't have nothing to offer. They didn't have any money, Brother Sparks. They were too poor. Let me say that again. They were too poor to redeem themselves. But Boaz had all the resources necessary to set them free and here's the greatest part. He was willing. I, whatever it costs, I'll give it. Whatever it costs, there's no price too high to pay because I want the land. I want the family. I, I, I want to continue the legacy. I'll give whatever it is. Hear me, sanctuary. We are too poor to redeem ourselves. I don't care how high, how much, how much we possess, how how far we, we climb up the ladder of success. There's not enough money that we can muster up. We can pull all of our resources together. If everyone in this room pulled all of our resources together, we're still too poor. Our good works cannot redeem us. Our last name cannot redeem us. Our talent and ability cannot redeem us. Nobody but Jesus Christ was rich enough to pay the price. That's why the Apostle Paul said, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Romans 10 and 12. For the same, somebody say the same Lord. 
over all is rich unto all that call upon him. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. It does not matter Jew nor Greek. The same Lord, the same is Lord over all. He's Lord of all and he's Lord in us all. He's rich unto all of us that call upon him. 2 Corinthians 8 9, and I know I'm doing a lot of reading tonight because I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss what the Spirit is saying to the church. For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So the rich man became a poor man. So the poor man could become a rich. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The one that could have stayed on his throne. He could have stayed in the presence of the... He could have stayed in that presence where angels just worship 24-7. He could have stayed in that peace and that harmony. and He could have stayed invisible. He could have let the breach continue to be there between God and man. But that God, through the man Christ Jesus, came and He took on the form of a serpent. He put on flesh and He became poor that we might be rich. He took on humanity. That's why it would be said, He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He's touched by that. He knows exactly where you are and what the rich man who became poor so that the poor might be rich. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. I love the song. I believe it was. Some of y'all can help me. I believe it was the Happy Goodmans, but I may have my, but I remember listening to it. I'm a poor, poor, rich man. That's who we need to, that's what we need to get in our spirit. You, you, don't just look on that. I'm a poor, poor, rich man. I own a title to a man. I, I, I've, got, I've got a place that's been prepared for me. I don't know about you, Brother Dodd, but I'm looking forward to that day. Our God is a lot of things. But poor is not one of them. He was, he became, yet through his poverty might be rich. We, we, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. But now he's, he's highly exalted. He's been given a name above Every name. And I've come to tell someone tonight, you may be lost, you may be wayward. He can redeem you. It doesn't matter how much debt we're in. It doesn't matter how long we have sinned. It doesn't matter how delinquent we are on our payments. He is rich enough to redeem each and every one of us. Hallelujah. The real question is how much how much does it cost to redeem a soul? What, how much does it cost to redeem a soul? You've got a, you've got a soul. Everybody in this room has got a soul. 
And the devil has stuff you want. You make the switch. And then a couple years down the road, you do your best to get out of the arrangement. You think about that. So by analyzing some of these transactions, we can get a sense of how much a human soul is, is worth. For instance, there's a song that I'm sure none of y'all have ever heard. The devil went down to Georgia. By the Charlie ba Daniels Band in 1979. The devil bets a fiddle of gold against Johnny's soul. Johnny accepts. So how much is the fiddle of gold worth? A violin weighs about 450 grams and is primarily made out of spruce and maple. If you can take that weight and figure it up, that much in gold was at the time it meant that Johnny's soul would, would roughly be valued at $167,000. After inflation, that would make Johnny's soul to, today about $590,000. That he was willing to put a price on his soul. And Stephen Vincent Benet, the devil, and Daniel Webster, a man, Jabez Stone, sells his soul to the devil for 10 years of prosperity. Had that taken place today, someone spending 10 years in the 95th income percentile would be about $2 million. So that soul would be worth a couple million dollars. And some of you right now are saying, oh, what I could do with a couple million dollars. There's also a story of a blues man, Robert Johnson, the musician, who according to the legend sold his soul at the crossroads in exchange for guitar skills. His career lasted six years from 1932 until his death in 1938. Given that, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the net financial gain from this hypothetical transaction would be about $241,000 for a career lasting six years. However, immortality is a little more difficult to put a price on. The best we can use is the United States government's Creepy as published statistic. The VSL or the value of statistical life. This is an estimate used by the government when conducting cost-benefit analysis of new policies that could save lives. For our purposes, since selling one soul is perhaps the most iconic cost-benefit analysis question in literature. We'll just use this. For, our, for the message and for our consideration. The current VSL is approximately $9.1 million. So what we found is that the market rate for a soul is between about $540,000 to $9.1 million. And if we take the middle ground or the average between the two, we would say $4.8 million per soul. 
there are over 7 billion souls right now. That's an average of 4.8 million times 7 billion. And that's just for today. So let's take it a little bit further. There's an estimate that there has been 108 billion people born on planet earth. So now you've got to do the math of $4.8 million times $108 billion. I don't even know if a calculator can even figure that high. And yet, he is rich enough to redeem every one of those souls. You hear me when I tell you that His blood can cover every sin. It can cover every soul. It can cover every person. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for my kinsman redeemer. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that redeemed my soul from hell. Put a value on your soul if you will. But all it takes is one drop of blood. One drop from Calvary's heel. One drop from an old rugged cross. It redeems you. What can wash away my sins? I mean, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the blood. I know it's Thanksgiving. I know we're getting close to Thanksgiving. But there ought to be a thankfulness in every heart in this room right now. We were too poor to save ourselves. We're still too poor to save ourselves. We're too much of a sinner to save ourselves. Our hearts are too wicked our hearts are too wicked to save ourselves. But the blood was rich enough to redeem us on Calvary's hill of sorrow where sin's demands were paid and rays of hope for tomorrow across our path were laid. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. There was another kinsman who was more qualified. He just wasn't willing. He didn't have the desire. There's so many people who are more qualified to do what I'm doing tonight. There are more people qualified to do what you're doing. Hear me. But they didn't have the desire to do what really needed to be done. I'm sure Ruth may have felt a little rejected when the other kinsmen wouldn't do it. But later in life, I believe she probably penned the original song way before Garth Brooks did. I thank God for unanswered prayers. Because if God would have answered that prayer with that, oh, where would we be today? Because had some things worked out that you were praying for, it would have kept you from getting what, you, what you're receiving now, where you are now, and it would not have put you on the road to your destiny had all of that not happened. But I prayed for it to happen, and it didn't happen. Just hold on. God still got the pen in his hand. 
God still got the pen. Well, it hadn't happened like I thought it was. Maybe he's got a bigger story in mind for you. Maybe he's got a brighter future in that. That, that destiny for you is greater than what you can comprehend. So Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Are you ready? Mary's Ruth. The Moabitess that didn't have a chance. Isn't it just like the God that we serve? Isn't it like God to be so amazing that He can take someone with such a horrible past and allow them to get connected to someone that can change the entire history of the world? Her family tree had incest in it. Go all the way back to the Moabites. Go all the way back to the lineage. It was dysfunctional with a capital D. But God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way in dysfunction. I'm going to find a way to, to bring glory out of this. I'm going to find a way to continue my name. And when we read 8 through 11 of chapter 4. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. It was a form of an agreement. Hope I can get this shoe off. Bear with me. And Boaz said unto the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day. He drew off one shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that have bought all that Elimelech. That was, that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon. Have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance? That the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day and all the people that were in the gate and all the elders said, We are witnesses. Verse number 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. And she bare a son. I know that seems... It may not seem like a big deal. Oh, she just had a son. Okay. God has a way of working everything out. But something. You ever tried to walk with one shoe on? Got a little limp. Boaz. When he took that shoe off. This is my own version of this. When he took that shoe off, he had a limp. I don't see where he ever puts it back on. 
But a shoe was a type of, it was a, a covenant. It was what you did to, to make a He drew off his shoe. But Boaz was saying, I'm willing to walk the rest of my life with a limp if I have to. Because I'm that committed. When you make a commitment to God and to the bride of Christ, you've got a little different walk than everybody else around you. You may walk with a limp. You may not do what everybody else is doing. You may not go. You may not dress. You may not talk. You may not, you may not be like everybody else. But let me tell you, a bride and a bridegroom and a baby are the byproduct of walking with a limp. Your failure then with faith makes for a bright future. Your mistakes, when it gets with mercy, creates a miracle. Your backslidden state and that bitterness gets in the presence of a redeemer and you can rise and be blessed. You may walk with a limp. You may not, you, you, you may look a little different. People around you may not understand. Why did you do that? Why did you make those life changes? Why did you, why, 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 you you're doing stuff different these days. I heard a song this week. If you don't like the old man, it's Jesus' fault. Sometimes you just, Jesus has a way of coming in and turning your life around. And people don't understand. If they don't, if they don't like who you're becoming, it's Jesus' fault. He's turned my life around. Ruth has a baby. Naomi goes from a backslider in Bethlehem, Judah, to a stranger in Moab. Where she buries her husband and two sons. And God gives her a special relationship with her daughter-in-law. And when she finally comes back to God, she is bitter. But now she is redeemed. She is about to hold her grandbaby. And babies have a way of healing. A lot of wounds. Babies have a way of healing a lot of situations. Ruth 4, 14 through 16. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. And for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took that child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. <sighs> Obviously, she is not breastfeeding the child, but she is helping nourish the child. The word nurse means to support and uphold. She wanted to do everything she could to make sure that that baby would be raised in a godly environment. And not have to make some of the same mistakes that she made. And shouldn't that be every parent and every grandparent's wish? <laughs> Naomi was able to sustain him by taking him to her bosom and loving and teaching and guiding him. 
There's one word, aman, A-M-A-N. The use of this word aman to describe Naomi's relationship with Obed is a beautiful reminder that not all of us have the opportunity. We, we may not necessarily, we want to say it like I feel it. Naomi became that person of influence. That she became that individual that would nourish that child. I believe that is what's happening in this church. That God is aligning relationships. God is aligning younger people. Younger adults to some of our older adults. And, and you are becoming a voice in their life. A nourisher. You are becoming a voice of encouragement. And a voice of experience that you can speak into their lives. And any time that God opens that door of influence. Maybe it's to teach them a Bible study. Maybe it's to take them to dinner. Listen to their concerns. Pray with them. Talk with them. You're doing what Naomi did to her grandbaby. You're nourishing them. God is raising up a generation that needs to know we are here to support. We're here to sustain. We're here to nourish them and see that they don't make the same mistakes that we make. You may not, all of us in this room, you can't be pastor. But you all can be a nourisher. You can be a voice of help and a voice of reason. We can't all be in charge, but we can find someone to encourage and to help in their journey. Verse number 17, and I'm coming for a quick close. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name. There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse. And the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Amenadad. And Amenadad begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. This is absolutely beautiful and incredibly powerful to think how God works. He takes the most unlikely candidates and turns them into vessels of honor that become key figures in the kingdom of God. Notice verse 21. Salmon begat Boaz. Salmon was married to a lady named Rahab. Anybody know who Rahab was? Rahab the harlot. Salmon and Rahab have a baby named Boaz. Boaz knows better than anyone that God is a God of Second chances because he he wasn't if he 
If he wasn't, then his mother would have died a harlot in Jericho. And he would have never been born. And because of this knowledge, I believe that Boaz was more he was more apt to love and care for someone like Ruth when everyone else just deemed her, you're an outcast. You're a Moabitess. You don't belong here. When you get a fresh revelation of where God has brought you from and who you used to be and how that if it wasn't for His hand leading you and guiding you and that you would be lost and undone, then and only then you can truly reach out to people around you. And then and only then can you have compassion on them. Rahab, I'll spare you because I want you to marry Solomon. Because I want you to give birth to Boaz. And because I want Boaz to meet a woman from Moab. And I want them to fall in love. And I want them to have a son named Obed. And because Obed will give birth to Jesse. And Jesse will give birth to David. In this bloodline. This bloodline. Would weave its way through time. And give birth. To the Messiah. As you stand all over this place. It just looks like everything's happened by chance and accident. I know it looks like your life is a beautiful mess. But I want you to pray right where you are before we leave. And pray that God would give us a revelation that had it not been for mercy. Had it not been for grace, we would have been lost in our sin. And I want us to pray right now that God would allow us to experience and to have the same mercy and compassion on others who are as in bad of shape as we once were. Don't you feel like God is doing great things among us? I, I wish I could get a get a get a, a an amen. God's doing some great things, and God's connecting the pieces of this puzzle together. But as I said Sunday, beware lest thou forget. Don't forget all that He has done for you, and because of what He's done for you, you need to extend that hand of mercy and that hand of grace. And God wants you to be the conduit of revival for revival that He wants to flow through. How many are around you today? How many are around you and where you work and your family members? They're just waiting for somebody. To say, come and go with me to my father's house. Come to a place that's safe for you and your family. Come to a place where you can be redeemed by a man who is rich. Who became poor for our sakes. Oh God, would you lift your hands all over this house? Would you lift your hands, hands and would you just let that voice be heard? I never want to forget where he found me. I never want to forget I may walk with a limp. I may have some scars along the way. 
But oh, when I stand before him, I never want it to be said. I never want it to be said that I wasn't willing to pay the price to be part of the bride. I don't want to be guilty of saying somebody else can do it. Somebody else can sing, somebody else can preach, somebody else can play, somebody else can be involved, somebody else can witness, somebody else can drive a van, somebody else can, can usher, somebody else can work the nursery, somebody else. It's always somebody else. Why? Because I, I really don't want to pay the price of what it takes to be what God called me to be. What if, it's, it's a big what if that we'll never know because. What would have happened if Boaz would have said, you know what? It's just too much. I want the land, but I don't want the, I don't want the responsibility of fathering more children. Fathering children. Boy, that land sure is pretty. I could do a lot with that land, but I don't want the responsibility. Your families are depending on you. The future generations are depending on you. To make a covenant with the land. Make a covenant with the redeemer of the land. Because if you want the land. You got to get a relationship with the redeemer. You got to be redeemed. By a man who is rich. Because we're too poor to redeem ourselves. Father right now. Seal this word in our heart by the Holy Ghost.